Tonight, we're speaking, I'm speaking to you about the second part of what I spoke to you last week, the storm in the church. And what I wanted to, to focus on were the words that the Lord has given us for some time. Bring to light the darkness Satan wants to keep hidden. Jesus has brought to light the darkness in his church. This is a grace the church is receiving. Why is this such a time of blessing? Because Satan's power is in darkness, in hiddenness. Once the darkness is brought into the light, his power is diminished. Therefore, there is an opportunity for repentance. Repentance opens the heart to receive God's infinite merciful love for conversion, healing, and transformation. The Lord told us, repentance is the gift of God that serves to pry open the hardened human heart so that my seeds of conversion can grow. Repentance is the sword of the spirit that opens the darkness within the human heart to be filled with God's light of truth so that the truth may set you free. Think of this opportunity for the entire church right now. This is why as a community we must pray greatly for the gift of repentance. The Lord goes on to tell us, to live in repentance is to live clothed in the knowledge of who you are, which is misery, and the knowledge of who I am, which is love and mercy. Notice that the Lord tells us to live in repentance. That means that especially a mother of the cross and missionary of the cross must live our lives receiving self-knowledge and kissing the feet of Jesus in sorrow, in repentance. And in this way, we grow in love, we grow in faith, we grow in hope. To live in repentance is to live in the freedom of living in the embrace of Abba, our Father. And the last sentence, the Lord gives this community a command. He says, tell my souls to seek true repentance at the foot of my cross. And then he makes a promise. And the power of my love crucified will set them free to live in my peace and in the joy of my promise. So we have a responsibility as a community to help bring souls to repentance. And the souls that do, imagine all the scandals, all the priests, if they repent, the Lord is making a promise at the foot of the cross that is going to set them free.
do we even think or have we even thought that this grace that God is giving the church, we have participated? The other day in prayer, this thought came to my heart and I realized Love Crucified has been living now for 10 years. The grace that God has given us. And now God is giving this grace to the church. And I really believed in my heart that this grace the church is receiving has also come from us in our union with the Lord. That we have truly helped obtain for the church this grace of coming into light. I remembered the time we were in Colombia on retreat. And right before the, the men and women that were going to make their covenant during the mass, the tabernacle could not be opened. No matter how hard we tried, it could not be opened. And we only had one host. And that one host ended up being able to feed with the, the body and blood of Christ 33 people. And then the Lord taught us through these words. He said, it was a sign from heaven of what is to come. You will look for me in the tabernacles of the world, but they will be shut. I no longer will be there. One host fed 33 souls. The number 33 represents me, my life on earth. At the age of 33, the end of my earthly life, I shed my blood for you. I am the sacrifice of love, the sacrifice of God's new covenant with his people. The triumph of my Eucharistic life is at hand. You, meaning all of us, are my participants in this triumph. One host, one body. No longer two, but one in my sacrifice of love. Prepare your hearts and minds to shed your blood as one sacrifice for the renewal of the world. Seven chalices represent my souls. There were seven women making their covenant. So we had seven chalices on the altar. So the Lord explained. Seven chalices represent my souls who have allowed me to empty them and purify them so that they now become God's pure instruments to purify the world. The doors of my mercy are closing. The fury of Satan will be let loose for a short time, but my living host will pierce this darkness 
and usher in the reign of the Immaculate Heart of my Mother with a new Pentecost. Prepare by living as one body with me, and you will be in perfect peace during the time of great darkness. Therefore, my community, in order to bring to light the darkness in others, we first must be committed to bringing to light the darkness within ourselves. We must be those chalices in which we allow Christ through the fire of the Spirit to make us empty and pure. And this is why the Lord has said to us, page 40 of the path, number 10, the soul that lives wrapped in the gift of knowledge grows in true humility and is then able to advance in my path on the wings of the Holy Spirit. We will never finish growing in self-knowledge. A mother of the cross and missionary of the cross must always live receiving constant knowledge of ourselves and receiving the love and mercy of God. The renewal of the church is not just for our ministers, for our priests, our bishops, our cardinals. It is each of us that make up the body of Christ, his bride, that must be committed to being renewed for the darkness lives in us also. For the past few days, I've had the privilege of speaking to some consecrated women of Regnum Christi. And I was explaining to them that the renewal of their, of Regnum Christi and their order isn't something that's a program. Each one of the men and women that make up that beautiful community, as they allow God to renew and transform them, then their order is being renewed. Therefore, each of us in Love Crucified that allow God to renew us, transform us, purify us, we are the new Pentecost. We are the light. We are the renewal of the church. The danger is to look at the scandal as something outside of us. And that's what most people do. Did you hear about this scandal? Did you hear about what's going on? Everybody speaks about it as if it's something separate from them. But as the body of Christ, we are one. And the renewal is in each of heart. Today's gospel reading spoke a lot to me. And I'd like to, to, to bring this into to the teaching tonight. It was Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. 
the sinful woman is forgiven. In verse 36 and 38, it says, A woman of the city who was a sinner and standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. The Pharisee then, too, to himself, makes a judgment of this woman. And the Pharisee, in his heart, says, If this man, speaking of Jesus, were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Jesus, at the end of this scripture passage, speaks these words. The Lord says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. We are a community of men and women that have given our fiats to be God's victims of love for these decisive times by committing ourselves to live the simple path as the means for our transformation into love. We must be the souls like this woman of the gospel that love much. But this is contingent as Jesus tells us, in our docility to live in the constant knowledge of our misery and God's infinite mercy and love, we must be willing to see the Pharisee of today's gospel in us, just like the older brother of the prodigal son. For these figures of the Bible that reveal pride, arrogance, lack of compassion, hardened hearts, hearts that are judgmental and critical, are also part of our hearts. Like I said last week, St. Therese would say, this is what is most difficult for souls to see themselves. And this is the great grace. This is what very few souls do. Very few souls are truly open to self-knowledge and to the gold of precious repentance. That is why we witness very few souls that enter transformation. What is something also we need to remember during these times in the church with the words, bring to light the darkness that Satan wants to keep hidden? The Lord in his words to this community has said that we are prophets. Therefore, we have been chosen by God to live the life of all prophets prophets. 
which is the life of being misunderstood, rejected, cast out, persecuted, and even killed because we speak the truth. In 2011, after reading the Gospel of Mark 12, verse 1 through 12, which is the parable of the wicked tenants, the Lord gave me these words for the community of Love Crucified. The Lord said, you, meaning Love Crucified, are the prophets of new, preparing the way for my second coming. I established my church, giving birth to her sacraments and ministers on the cross. My church, the vineyard, has become defiled with many corrupt ministers. Imagine our Lord in 2011 was already speaking to this community about the corruption in the priesthood. The Lord goes on to tell us this. Listen carefully, my family. I am sending you among wolves to cleanse my vineyard through the power of my cross and blood. Therefore, you must be clothed with humility and purity and covered with the mantle of my mother soaked in my precious blood. This gospel parable reveals your mission. The teachings are your preparation. Imagine how important this is. The Lord is telling us these weekly teachings are our preparation. Each week, we receive a seed. And we must beg the Lord because only the Lord can make us those seeds grow within us. We must do our part to ponder the teachings. But we must beg God that these teachings become who we are. They become flesh of our flesh. The Lord also tells us here that in order to be his instruments, to cleanse the church, to cleanse his ministers, there are two things that are required of a mother of the cross and missionary of the cross. Humility, he tells us, and purity. This is of the essence. We cannot go up against darkness if we're not humble and if we're not pure. And the only way to grow in humility is to constantly receive self-knowledge of our misery so we come to know that we are nothing and without God can do nothing. And God is everything. That is humility. In Luke chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, and then 26, the Lord says this, blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you 
and revile you and cast out your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Then at the end he tells us, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. My family, we must be healed and purified of being attached to wanting people to like us, to accept us, to affirm us. As long as we are still bound as people pleasers, we will not be able to live our role as God's prophets in these decisive times. Fear and attachments to being wanted, liked, and praised keep us from being God's prophets and confronting the darkness with the truth. Recently, in the Office of the Readings of Week 20, by St. John Chrysostom, he writes, When they hear the words, when they curse you and persecute you and accuse you of every evil, they may be afraid to come forward. Therefore, he says, unless you are prepared for that sort of thing, it is in vain that I have chosen you. Tonight, I feel the Lord is speaking these words from St. Chrysostom to us. The Lord is telling us, I have chosen you. But if you are not prepared to truly be my disciples, to truly be my prophets, and allow yourself to be misunderstood and even killed, I chose you in vain. He goes on to say, Curses shall be your lot, but they shall not harm you and will simply be a testimony to your constancy. If through fear, however, you fail to show the forcefulness your mission demands, your lot will be much worse. For all will speak evil of you and despise you. That is what being trampled by men's feet means. I'm going to go a little bit over tonight. Okay. If we continue and we go back to Luke 7, today's gospel, verse 36 through 50, we see how Jesus dealt with the Pharisee and what was going on in his heart. Jesus immediately confronts him. And Jesus says this, beginning verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. 
You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with an ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, we can easily read this gospel and just continue. But imagine the guts, the courage of the Lord to say this in the house of the person he was invited to go eat it's as if you're invited to someone's house for dinner and you know the darkness that's taking place in their hearts and then you say something like this I mean are you going to be not liked are people going to get mad at you are your family members going to start to murmur against you of course but Jesus does it anyways because he loves, because he was bringing to light the darkness that was in the heart of that Pharisee to bring him to repentance. Jesus also confronts other times in a stronger, in a more direct way. He calls sometimes Pharisees hypocrites and even his own. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Those are pretty strong words. Jesus confronts John the Baptist, confronted Herod, got killed. St. Paul confronts. Recently, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 through 8. And I was, in a way, shocked with the way St. Paul confronts a situation they're having. He says this. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and of a kind that is not found even among pagans. For a man is living with his father's wife. Now think about everything that's going on now with homosexuality in the church. And, and, and. so this is being dealt with um, someone living with his father's wife. And St. Paul goes on to say, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Then he goes on to say, when you are assembled and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. St. Paul confronted the evil and the darkness. That was in the early church. And another example is Padre Pio. My community, living in the spirit is living attentive to the will of God in every instant. Because we are all broken, we need people that love us 
to tell us the truth about ourselves. Love will always move us to confront with the truth in the spirit of love, respect, and mercy, always aware of our own darkness. There is another type of confrontation. It's the confrontation of revenge, anger, resentment, jealousy that comes from darkened hearts. And then there is the confrontation of pure love that comes from the Holy Spirit. Confrontation of love always deals directly with the person, while the confrontation of Satan never deals in transparency, but avoids direct contact and instead enters murmuring, criticism, judgments, among others. It is important that we are able to discern when we're called to confront in the spirit and know the difference of when Satan is moving us to confront because of negative emotions. Women have a keen intuition because in general, we are more attentive to the heart. With this interior attentiveness, we see many times what our men fail to see. Our problem, the problem of women, is in the way we handle what we see and know. We try to control, react, and speak immediately what we sense and see. We must learn silence to suffer with Christ in Mary for the woundedness of our men and learn to wait upon the Lord to speak. Recently at the Mothers of the Cross monthly meeting, the Lord taught us about this. And I'll give you one sentence to remind you. He said, her, meaning our Blessed Mother, her tenderness is manifested in her silence as the love and mercy of God radiates from her gaze. Men, in general, are more comfortable staying on the surface, not entering the heart, remaining in the intellect. They can fear confrontation because of their own insecurities and lack of having been affirmed as boys. These wounds can bring them to avoidance, to hide, or to act as bullies because they do not receive the gift of self-knowledge. They do not know themselves and who they have become that they are not. Therefore, they remain on the surface and don't enter the heart of their disorders. This is very typical of what we call the men's club and what we've seen happening in the church. It's kind of like even laymen can come together and they know that there is adultery going on among themselves or other impurities, but it's the men's club 
and they keep it among themselves. And so um, that is something that God, too, is, is piercing in, in the priesthood. And I'd like to end with yesterday's Office of the Readings by St. Augustine. He's speaking of the pastors, and he said, I have explained what it means to consume milk. Now let us consider what it means to clothe with wool. One who gives milk gives sustenance, while one who gives wool gives honor. These are precisely the two things that pastors who feed themselves and not the sheep look for from the people. One, the benefit of having their wants supplied, as well as the favor of honor and praise. He goes on to say, St. Augustine, for every man without exception is weak. Your pastor is in the flesh. He is mortal. He eats, sleeps, awakens. He was born and he is going to die. In himself he is, when you think of it, simply a man. But it is true that you make him something more by giving him honor. It is as if you were covering what is weak. Consider the nature of the clothing that the Apostle Paul received from God's good people. He said, you have received me like an angel of God. I testify that if it were possible, you would have torn out your eyes and give them to me. Indeed, great honor was shown to him. But did he then spare sinners because of that honor, perhaps out of fear that it would be refused? and that he would receive less praise when he gave blame? Had he done so, he would be among those shepherds who feed themselves and not the sheep. He would then say to himself, what has this to do with me? Let everyone do what he will. My sustenance is safe and my honor too. I have enough milk and wool, so let each one do as he likes. Yet he, Paul, still comes to the sheep that is ill, to the one that is diseased, to cut the wound and not to spare the diseased part. He says, have I then become your enemy by preaching the truth? He did not neglect his sheep. And this goes in line with what the Lord said years ago to me. He said, what I needed to let go of was my reputation. If I am not consciously aware of my attachment to my reputation, wanting to be liked and honored, then I will not fight against this tendency that I have. I must live this disorder that lives within me the disorder of my heart in the light of Christ so that I can move through my fears when love calls me to speak the truth.
and the same is for each of you. This is why the Spirit has raised up holy spiritual motherhood. The priesthood can no longer remain as the men's club. They must now walk united with their spiritual mothers to the cross to die to self and be clothed in Christ. As mothers of the cross, we are called to raise up a holy manhood, a holy priesthood. First and foremost, through our ability to suffer the hidden martyrdom of the heart as we receive the brokenness of our men and with our tenderness bring to light their darkness as the Spirit guides us so that they can become fathers that are capable of protecting the church. As protectors and defenders, they too will be called to confront with the authority of a holy fatherhood. For a father that cannot confront in the spirit, cannot defend, protect, and lead his flock. <laughs>